This episode is sponsored by the Perfect 3 Collagen. Collagen is the most abundant form of protein in our bodies, and like many things, it starts to decline as we age. If you're noticing low energy, cravings, joint pain, or dull skin and hair, you'll want to check out their collagen creamer. Add it to coffee, tea, or milk to enjoy high-quality collagen and brain-boosting superfoods on a daily basis. Check them out at theperfect3.com or visit the link in our show notes and get 10% off your first order. Welcome to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics podcast, the voice for women in midlife and beyond. At Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Colleen. My name is Bridget. And today we're going to be talking to Dr. Carol Cool. And we first met her at our event in October, and we just knew we had to have her on the show. And Dr. Cool is the director of the Menopause and Women's Sexual Wellness Clinic at the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. And she's got decades of you know experience. And we thought a good way to have her come on was to talk about the questions that women should be prepared to ask their gynecologist when they walk in. Unfortunately, the way our health system works right now, you get about 15 minutes. So how are you going to use those 15 minutes? We wanted to talk to her about red flags, things you definitely want to bring up to your gynecologist when you're going through the perimenopause transition and things you may not even think of as important. Oh, I, I really just love hearing from her. And I just love the facts that she knows um, about the risks for breast cancer and all the things that came out with that women's health initiative that has have just scared women to death for years, for decades. And just her coming out with the studies and mentioning it, talking about the real true findings behind it, just to make women feel at ease and a little more open to the fact that different possibilities are available to them, that you do not have to suffer through this phase. And I think that that report just really shut a lot down and women just continue to suffer through this phase. And she just has so much information that just kind of rolls off the tongue. Like you oh can tell gosh. she's done it for years. And, oh, she knows it. Yes. Yeah. And she does talk about, like Bridget said, um, breast cancer patients, cardiovascular issues that we should be aware of and how hormone therapy can actually benefit, not for the purpose of going on hormone therapy for cardiovascular or osteoporosis issues, but how they are benefited from being on hormone therapy. Before we go on, Bridget and I want to just let you know really quick that we went to the premiere of Below the Belt, which is a documentary that is produced by Hillary Clinton and Rosario Dawson and also produced by Shannon Cohn and her husband. It is a documentary about endometriosis and it tracks four different women and their experience and how frustrating it is to get a diagnosis for endometriosis, which I knew it was difficult, but I had no clue the lengths where I had to go to. I had no clue. I knew people that have it. I know the pain that's involved. It's so difficult. You'll just find out with these women. It's kind of an invisible pain because you can't see what's happening on the outside to them. And when they try to describe what's going on to physicians, they don't know where to go. They're, They're doing all kinds of different tests. A lot of them aren't believed. Sounds a lot like menopause, but even more painful. And 
it is just amazing. It's it's frustrating. If you can catch Below the Belt where you live, look up the documentary. If you're able to host a screening, look up uh, belowthebelt.film and look that up. And maybe if you're able, host a screening in your town. We are going to be talking about questions to ask your gynecologist with Dr. Carol Cool. If you want to check out the show notes, if you have any questions, remember all of our links are in the show notes. So go to hotflasheskooltopics.com. You'll find lots of things on the website, but you'll also find the show notes and all of our links are in the show notes. Enjoy the episode. And if you have questions, you can always leave it on our email at hotflasheskooltopics at gmail.com. We'll talk to you after. So welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics. Today, we have a very important conversation with a wonderful guest, Dr. Carol Cool, who not only risked life and limb to be <laughs> at our menopause event back in October, but it is also section head of the Menopause and Women's Sexual Health Clinic at Mayo in Minnesota. Welcome to the show, Dr. Cool. Thank you. So nice to see you again. Yes. Nice to see you too. (laughs) Really great to see you after hear what what you had to go through to get there and get back. So oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. No problem at all. No problem at all. Yeah. It was so wonderful at the event to see women get their questions answered and feel like a part of a community because your expertise is so invaluable to our community. And we thought a good way to start this conversation would be about what women should be thinking about when they walk into their doctor's office. Because like you said, sometimes it's some it's referred by your insurance. You don't necessarily know the person. So can we start for, with what do you suggest women? How do, should they get prepared for a doctor's appointment to talk about menopause? Right. I mean, you know, I think if optimally, if they can find a, a physician who is certified in menopause, that's really helpful because they're on the same page right away. So the North American Menopause Society has um, a website for patients where there are physicians in their area that are certified in menopause. So if that is the specific question they're having and they can find someone like that, that would be perfect. If they cannot, then I think when they meet with a physician that they're very clear about these are the symptoms that I'm having. I'm not sleeping. I have cognitive blunting These because these are the things we hear from our patients. I'm having hot flashes all day, you know, on and off. Sometimes they're worse than others. Um, and then looking at if they're having sexual health issues, you know, are they having vaginal dryness? So hot flashes, sleep, cognitive blunting, vaginal dryness, those are kind of the premier questions that kind of pop up right away when women are going through menopause. The issue is clarifying, is this menopause or not, or is this something else? So understanding that they're in this age range, usually 45 through through 55 is kind of the time where we see women go through this transition. Um, and can, are they a candidate for hormone therapy? Am I a candidate for treatment for hormone therapy? The questions that will be important is, you know, we assess women for breast cancer risk, not that they can't have hormone therapy if there's a family history, but we clarify you know, how much of a family history. So understanding their own family history for breast cancer and for cardiovascular disease 
is really important because those those are the questions that we need clarity in when we're saying you are average risk. So when we're we're saying you're a candidate for hormone therapy, we're saying you're symptomatic, you're average risk, meaning that there's not a big history for very early cardiovascular disease in the family or breast cancer. And what do I mean by risk for breast cancer? We define women who have first or second degree relatives that were young when they had breast cancer. We define male breast cancer. We define breast cancer in both breasts. So those are risks that kind of pop up and say, you know, where are you? Do you need, you know, other, other management? Um, but most women, you know, when you look at that women's health initiative trial, that's what kind of, you know, upended everything in, in hormone therapy. And, and we're all still struggling with it because, you know, the media didn't help us, you know, they were kind of uh, maximizing the, the negative of it. But we've had some experience with it now, which is really nice. So if you look at who was studied in that, in that group, you know, there were 150,000 women, that's a lot of women, Wow! you're not going to see another trial like that. So those women were randomized to hormone therapy or not. Okay, some of them got estrogen alone, some of them got estrogen and progesterone. And then they looked at, okay, these women did not have a high risk for breast cancer, did not have a high risk for early cardiovascular disease. And so they were safe for hormone therapy. Now, those women have been followed out now for 20 years. And so it's been very reassuring because the women who got hormone therapy for five years, followed out 20 years, actually had decreased what we call all-cause mortality meaning that they died less from everything compared to the women who did not get the hormone therapy. Wow. So that was, that was really, really an important finding, you know, and we, we talked to women about, you know, which bucket are you in? Are you in the bucket where you're average risk? Then you're going to benefit from hormone therapy because it does help with those hot flashes. It does help with mood. It does help with sleep. It does help with libido because you're feeling better. Um, then we look at what about those women who are under 45? That's a whole nother group. And, and that's really important. It was something that I tried to drive home when we were meeting because that's often missed. Sometimes physicians confusingly take that bucket and put it in the other bucket with older women. And that bucket is really, really important because if they don't get hormone therapy, they're going to have trouble as they get older. They're going to have a higher risk of breast cancer, of heart disease, of osteoporosis. So that's really important for women to know that if you're young, you're under 45. And clearly, if you're under 40, you actually need hormone therapy unless there's some reason you shouldn't have it, like mm -hmm. breast cancer. You were talking about cardiovascular risk. What are some of the cardiovascular uh, issues that happen that women so, should be aware of? So one of the things that was confusing about that trial is that they said, oh, there's an increased risk for stroke in women who got the hormone therapy. But it was women who were in their 60s who had never been on hormone therapy. So the thing that we discuss, and you'll see a lot in our literature, is about the timing hypothesis. It's like, when do we give hormone therapy? When is it beneficial? When is it safe? When is it not? And so if we look at women at age 60 or older, they may have already developed some changes in their coronary arteries. 
And that's what put them at risk for a stroke. Okay. It was a small bump, but it was there. And it said to us, you don't start hormone therapy in somebody who's over 60. Okay. So we're very careful, you know, and so the rule is around your menopause within 10 years of your menopause, average risk. Those are the women that we give hormone therapy to that are symptomatic. Okay. Cause it also protects your bone. And now, you know, we say to women, if you are losing bone, it's, it's, we see at uh, menopause that there's a precipitous drop in, in bone. And we want to catch that. And our endocrinologists love us when we put women on hormone therapy because they know we're protecting their bone, you know? So uh, that is not a first indication, but it's a secondary indication. And if a woman has gone through menopause and has not been treated, and then we see them in the clinic and it's been a year or so, we'll do a bone mineral density because we're like, we want to know where your bones sit. And if we see that they've had a drop in their bone mineral density, that is a reason for them to be on hormone therapy. Well, you just answered my question there. Because <laughs> <laughs> my next question was, you know, for like, obviously we use our own personal experience. As someone who just hit my 12 months of no period in November, yay. I didn't really struggle with the hot flashes like a lot of women did, but I do have osteoporosis. Oh. So... And I was diagnosed with osteopenia, but then I was told that it's really osteoporosis. And okay. my levels have remained the same over the last two years, but how do I weigh whether it's worth? Like, what would a woman say? Okay, I really don't have some of the other symptoms, but I am concerned about my osteoporosis. Yeah. So hormone therapy is not a treatment for osteoporosis. That needs that needs an endocrinologist or a rheumatologist to to treat you for with uh, alendronate or depending on whether it's vertebral or whether it's hips. Okay. Right. So, um, so that's not a, we would not give you hormone therapy to treat your osteoporosis. We clearly want you to get treatment for your osteoporosis, however, because right. fracture risk, you know, I'm a geriatrician by training. And what I know is out, you know, as we get older, we want to women to, to be able to function well as they age that first hip fracture, downhill, downhill. They've even demonstrated that in older women who fall and have hip fractures, there's a high risk of death within the next year. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, is such a talk scary. We've talked to the, the, the lady. Claire with the Gill. Os- yes, with the Osteoporosis Society, and she yeah. was telling us that. And, well, and, yeah. I, and I think yeah. a lot of women think, well, I didn't get the hot flashes, so I don't really need to go on hormone replacement, even though my if, you know, I had, might have some vaginal atrophy or something. It's so hard for women. What kind of red flags do you see when a woman comes in and said, well, I didn't have the hot flashes, but. Yeah. Yeah. And the butt is what, what's happening to your bone. That's, that's the butt. And that's why we do the bone mineral density because, you know, there's this group of women that are like, I want my hormones. Don't ever take my hormones away. And then there's a group of don't ever give me hormones. I'm petrified, you know, kind of thing. And so you just have to put, objectively the information out there and let them decide because it is their decision. You know, it's not me telling them what to do. It's to say, this is how we counsel you and think about this. You know, I worry if you have bone loss that down the road, you know, you would have a fracture. So, you know, it's a very individual conversation with women and it's not just about all the data. It's about, you know, what, what they wanted. And it it truly is shared decision-making. Truly. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you were talking about um, vaginal dryness and sexual health as well. And I know that that is something that so many women that go through menopause have that have issues and are with embarrassed that. to talk and about they're embarrassed it. to talk about it. And I don't think it's been really brought up that yes. they didn't, they just thought it was something personal wrong with them. Could yeah. that be something yeah. when they come in and talk to you, maybe yes. they're not having hot flashes, right, but right. they're having that. Yes. Uh, is that something that would have yes. hormone therapy? So um, we talk about, um, you know, we look at the whole thing, you know, if they're having libido issues, libido issues, are that's a very complex um, conversation. And we're going to take a break. We'll be back in a moment. And we're back. So we have, uh, we have different consultation types and one of them is sexual health. So they just come in to talk about their vaginal dryness, their pain with sex, um, and libido. So when we talk about libido in particular, we talk about, you know, what's happening when they're having sexual activity. You know, do they feel aroused? Do they feel, um, are they lubricating? Are they able to have an orgasm or not? What's happening in the relationships? And if everything looks like it's functioning okay, there's still going to be reasons why their libido is low. And certainly hormones is one of those reasons. We don't uh, let me let me put it this way. Then we kind of go through, you know, all the physiologic things. We look at, you know, did they have cancer? Is there something neurologic going on? You know, how is their sleep? That's huge. Because then maybe it is about vasomotor symptoms and it is about, you know, they're, they're waking up in the middle of the night, they're having hot flashes. You know, so that insomnia piece becomes a really important piece. You know, are they tired for other reasons? And then we look at, okay, so is there a mood issue here? Sometimes hormones can help with the mood issue. Um, we don't treat depression with estrogen, but women will find that their well-being is improved on hormone therapy. We look at, you know, what's your alcohol use? That's huge. Uh, because we look at all those triggers for hot flashes and, you know, alcohol can be one. Um, we look at, you know, their past. Has there been sexual abuse or sexual trauma? And what's going on with your partner? You know, because at the end of the day, that's really important. If you don't like your partner, you don't have good intimacy outside the bedroom, then maybe nothing's going to happen inside the bedroom. And certainly what we learned growing up, you know, a lot of us have come into this sexual world with uh, preordained thoughts about my sexual being. I should never have sex before marriage, you know, all these things and people, you know, and, and just understanding the impact of that. So today, you know, if we treat women with hormone therapy and they're menopausal, uh, that there is an indication for testosterone. Um, so if we look at all the, go through everything else and it looks like, yeah, this is hormonally related, you know, with or without estrogen, we can offer testosterone. Mm. And we give it for six to eight weeks. We have labs that we do. We monitor the levels and um, see how they do. And sometimes that's just a little bump because the ovary makes testosterone as well. Mm -hmm. So we get part of it from our adrenal gland, part of it from our ovary. And so when we go through menopause, it's not like there's this abrupt loss of testosterone because we're still getting it from the adrenal gland, but it kind of drops off. Okay. So sometimes we'll, we'll go ahead and give them a trial of testosterone in the average risk woman again. And sometimes that's really beneficial. And is it in a cream form or is it transdermal form? Right. So there's okay. lots of conversations about how to do it. 
And I will say here at Mayo, we, you know, while we're very cautious about compounded medications because they're not regulated, you don't know what you're getting, we trust our pharmacy to create a cream. Because if you give women androgel, which is the male, um, androgel is what men get for testosterone. Women need one-tenth the dose. So you have to be very careful. And the one thing that we are very cautious about, in fact, you know, we pretty much say we, 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 we don't like the pellets. And we recommend not using the pellets. And the reason is once a pellet is in, you can't take it out. And so commonly estrogen and testosterone pellets are what are used. And we have seen testosterone levels be high for a year out. And we have seen patients with estrogen pellets in that get breast cancer. And it's not because of the pellets, but you have an estrogen positive breast cancer and you have an estrogen pellet sitting inside there circulate, it's feeding the tumor. So it's not FDA approved. I'm surprised the FDA hasn't really come down on it, um, but it's not recommended. Mm. That That is very important for our listeners to hear that yeah, as well. I think and, so. and that mm-hmm. kind of leads me into the question of our, our doctors and their experience in this, because it seems like there is a small trend of doctors that are dealing specifically with menopause and midlife. But for the average OBGYN, they don't get educated on this. What can women do besides looking at the NAMs? Cause not everybody's going to find someone near them. Right. What I know you spoke about um, a study that at the time, I think Bridget and I were talking about, about male interns and if they're educated. Yeah, one of our, our, uh, our new um, consultants, uh, they all have to come through here. So all the consultants, and we're internal medicine, we're not gynecology. We work with gynecology all the time, but our, our clinic is internal medicine. Uh, he was like, how much does, do men know about this? So, um, so we were talking about developing a survey. So when women come in, if their male partners are here with them, that we would survey them and see what their knowledge was. So he said he's working on it. You know, it's, it's <laughs> here. I'm like, all right, I'm here for you. Let's let's talk about it. So you know, as we uh, see what we can develop. But um, yeah, I I think it would really be helpful for men to have a perspective about this as well because they're either with their partners and and oftentimes when women come in with the sexual health issues you know sometimes the partners you know around and so when we we have a sex therapist on our team and so oftentimes you know we'll see the patient we'll figure out you know all those domains and do a physical you know see if there's atrophy try and sort out and then the two of them can see the sex therapist you know, whether it's their male partner or, or whatever, you know, or even women who um, don't have a partner, if they have sexual health issues, they can still see the sex therapist, you know, because that sometimes they're afraid to have a partner because they're having sexual health issues. So, so our team kind of works with it um, and, and the people are having pain, then we kind of sort out what, you know, I tell women, why would you want to have sex if it hurts, you know? Why would you want to? And I, I remember telling the there was a tri-state public health conference up in Minneapolis. And I gave a talk and I said, if you can remember one thing, I think this should be on a billboard on the highway that says, for women, sex should not hurt. It's so interesting because women, if, that, if it does hurt, they don't know why. 
Like what's happened? Why is it hurting? And they, that's something, you know, just through Colleen and I doing the show and just doing our research because we're focused on this, found out the vaginal, like skin, it thins, is that correct? Yeah. And so I'm like, well, I never knew that until I really tried to find out Mm-hmm. about just what women go through in menopause. Right. And that's so easily fixed. And it does not increase your risk for breast cancer. I mean, I treat women in their 80s with vaginal estrogen because they start having bladder infections. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about sexual health. It's also about your genital health because the urethra where you pee out of is right there. It has estrogen receptors. And women will start having this gotta go, gotta go, itchy uh, uh, feeling. A little estrogen goes a long way. In fact, I had the infectious disease department call me and they were like, we're seeing all these women with bladder infections and we're not finding anything. You know, could this be menopausal? And I'm like, absolutely. And so there have been studies where women were having bladder infections and you treated them with topical estrogen, just a little estrogen right there. And they went away. It's, it, wow. That is amazing. And it's just so not, it's not well known. Like actually I had UTI, UTI issues about a year and a half ago yeah. and Exactly. Just, you know, just things to do to treat it. Now I'm like, oh my gosh, it was so simple. And, you know, you brought up the uh, vaginal estrogen. And I know that when you were at our event, you Mm -hmm. talked about that as well. I think another person brought up a question, another person on the panel about people that had breast cancer could take it. But I know that you said maybe not if they have active breast cancer. Is that correct? Yeah. I I say we take an active pause is what we do. So if a woman is being treated, then we, we don't give it to them. So, but there are vaginal moisturizers. And so they are actually, they, there's been some head to head with, with um, vaginal moisturizers and, and estrogen, topical estrogen or estrogen tablet. And it was, it was about the same, but we, we find that after 12 weeks of vaginal moisturizer, women are really improved. And so we always go there first. Mm -hmm. And then we, again, you know, we put them in buckets. You know, when did you have your breast cancer? What type was it? What was your treatment? Are you on endocrine therapy? How bad is it? You know, so there's a whole decision tree, so to speak, of how we approach women specifically. In fact, I'm giving a talk in Hawaii next month on sexual health and breast cancer patients. And so that's, that's part of it is, you know, how, how do we, we approach uh, vaginal atrophy in women who have had breast cancer? What questions should women be prepared to ask? You know, they walk into an OBGYN's office and that OBGYN has seen three pregnant women, some teenagers that are just about yeah. to start their cycles. Yeah. But what questions, if you had to pick like one or two questions that a woman who is in that 40 plus demographic should get answers to, should be able to ask and get answered. And if they don't get those answers, red flag, maybe find somebody else. Yeah. I, you know, I would, I would ask if they're comfortable with treating patients with, with hormone therapy. I mean, that's a very direct question where, you know, where are you with this? I mean, when they schedule their appointments, you know, it's always interesting. And it was, I was just meeting with our schedulers, how we make appointments and figure out who gets where you know, when you're scheduling an appointment that, you know, that appointment is very specific. This is about menopausal hormone therapy, or I'm having hot flashes, you know, so that it's very clear right up front. That's what you're coming for. 
And then if they say, okay, yeah, we can schedule that. I mean, that's a clue to me that they have, that they're comfortable with addressing that issue. You know, I don't know what everybody, every provider out there, gynecology, family medicine, or internal medicine knows about hormone therapy. But I think being clear right up front that that's why you're there. And then being armed with that information about, you know, your cardiovascular risk, you know, where are you in terms of what's your specific risk? You know, do you have high blood pressure? Do you have hyperlipidemia? Those are not reasons not to treat, but it gives you a snapshot of what your cardiovascular health is, what your breast cancer health is. So I think those are the two things. And then of course, you know, are you having some vaginal dryness? Because, you know, they most, I think most gynecologists would be very comfortable with vaginal estrogen at the least, you know, whether they're comfortable with hormone therapy is, you know, hard to know. Mm -hmm. The thing that's really interesting too, that actually one of the times that you want to capture women is when they're going through their transition before they even hit that 12 month period, because that is a time when they can be very symptomatic, you know, and they're just trying to get through it. But it's confusing because the ovaries don't just shut off. They're kind of on again, off again, on again, off again. And women will tell you, you know, I had hot flashes and they kind of went away and I got my period. And it's because the ovary kicked back in. So they were feeling a little bit better. And during that time, that's when we see bone loss sometimes. You know, we'll see these other things happen. And so capturing that group and putting them on hormone therapy can really be very helpful. And that's another thing I think women don't realize. That's maybe the best time to go. I think that's actually when I first went and asked um, a gynecologist about it. I still wasn't completely finished with my cycles. And she did not want to put me on hormones. She put me on Effexor initially, Uh, and it really didn't help at all. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Yeah. and then, then I did go on hormone therapy. Yeah, and and you know, then it, it was it was like oh, it was great. <laughs> I get thank you notes all the time. Oh, it was like oh my gosh, game changer! It really was. And, you know, you talked about um, cancer, breast cancer survivors, and survivorship, yes. and you were talking about you're going to give a talk with them about yeah. that. Yeah, right. What are some sexual issues that come up? Like you know, if they can't take a yeah. hormone replacement, right. what you know, what are some options for that? Yes. Yeah. So there was a very nice study actually um, that was just completed uh, at Sloan Kettering. So one of my, I'm on a board with, uh, with uh, uh, Sherry Gofar from Sloan Kettering, who's a medical oncologist who does breast. And they did do a study on phlebanserin. So small study, but uh, phlebanserin is a Uh, medication that increases norepinephrine and dopamine in the brain. Okay. So those, you know, when we think about sexual drive, you know, it's not just the vagina, you know, it's not just the vulva. It's, there's also mechanism in the brain that are drivers. So estrogen, testosterone are drivers in the brain, but norepinephrine and dopamine are also drivers in the brain. So this medication in particular, which is FDA approved for low libido, um, was done in breast cancer patients. And so, and this was specifically breast cancer patients on tamoxifen. So that's the group that we know about. And so it did not 
appear to have any adverse risks in the 24-week trial, and women responded to it. So that's one group that we'd say, okay, we feel pretty comfortable. You know, there's some other medications that are out on the market. There's a shot um, that women can give themselves like 45 minutes prior to sexual activity um, that is increases libido and, and seems to increase the sati- what they call sexually satisfying experience. So that's out there. Um, it's not been tested in breast cancer patients, but it's not contraindicated either. You know, Welbutrin is a medication that increases dopamine, and sometimes that helps women with sexual health issues, especially women who are on uh, what we call SSRI, so uh, uh, Prozac or paroxetine or, you know, any of those SSRIs. Um, so the difference being, you know, when you look at breast cancer patients specifically, you know, which are the, the treatments that we would choose? So fulbansarin might be one we would choose for patients that are on tamoxifen. You know, would we give it to other patients? I mean, it would have to be a sh- like, again, a shared decision-making. We don't know everything about all these things, but we say, this is what we know. I don't think this will hurt you. You know, it's something to consider. That is really encouraging to hear. Absolutely. Yeah, I feel like so many women that face that and so many women do face breast cancer. Yes. Yes. They just feel that there's nothing else out there for them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're obviously the cutting edge of all of this new information. Where do you see menopause going in the next couple of years as far as treatment and options for women? Well, I, I would say that there's two places. Um, there's, you know, NAMS is a North American Menopause Society. There's lots of, I mean, publications all the time that are coming out, you know, and what's really interesting about menopause and what we're really beginning to understand is what happens during a hot flash? Because we used to think it's just like a bad feeling, but it's not. I mean, there's concerns that there's something happening at the artery when somebody's having a hot flash. So we're beginning to understand the mechanism of hot flashes and we're understanding, you know, why does estrogen help and where are there other medications that are non-hormonal that can then begin to help with the hot flash? Because in those women that can't take hormone therapy, how do we help them? And so there's medications on the um, that are now in the pipeline, let's say, that are pretty close to having those trials done that we hope will be FDA approved that will really hit the mechanism and decrease the risk. Because, you know, when they've done studies looking at the brain in women who have a lot of vasomotor symptoms, there's some what we call increase in white matter. So, so are there some permanent markers in the brain that women are having vascular changes in the brain because of their hot flashes. And so does that put them at risk? Is it, is a hot flash actually a cardiovascular risk? Is that a red flag that there's something going on from a cardiovascular standpoint? So there's lots of studies going on, looking at that and publications that are coming out all the time that are helping guide us in terms of Let's look at this a little bit closer. And even the American Heart Association, we were really pleased about this, published a paper last year agreeing with it that we really need to understand the timing hypothesis and when's the best time to treat a woman that is actually heart protective. 
So we, we don't give hormone therapy to protect the heart, but we're thinking it probably is, you know, so lots, lots of stuff's going on. Um, and so there's a big conference with um, the North American Menopause Society for providers to go to on an annual basis. Ishwish is another organization that looks primarily at sexual health. And so that's another place where providers can go and get educated about sexual health in uh, females. And it's not just, you know, through menopause, it's on a lot of different levels. So that's an excellent organization as well that has provider list that people who are, are active in that Thank you so much, Doctor. Yeah, we know you probably so have much. patients waiting. Yeah, in the I know <laughs> you have patients and patients, both different. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but but yeah, that was just really hearing about all these studies is so encouraging because yeah. as women, we often feel like we are not on the top of the the right. you know the right. list. Women's so health that. is at the bottom of the list, and so, so it's really encouraging to hear about yeah, these. Absolutely. Yes, delightful to see you guys. Thank you so much, Dr. Carol Cole, for being on our show and for coming. We to just Marvel's. love her. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, you know, for her to even speak to us after <laughs> what she went through at, to get to and back from Marvelous Mrs. Menopause, you guys, the Uber sent her to the wrong airport. She had gone to LaGuardia. She needed to go to JFK. She made it. She was running. She got on the plane. Also, you can check out all of these show notes if you want to find out any links to um, the Mayo Clinic website for, for Dr. Carol Cool. Check out our show notes on our website, hotflasheskooltopics.com. If you have a, a subject that you want to know about and you just don't know, we will try to find it. And we will find the experts to, to answer your questions. So make sure you send us an email at hotflasheskooltopics at gmail.com. Also, check out all of our social media accounts. We are on the socials. So just look for Hot Flashes Cool Topics there. And we also share the entire video of this conversation on YouTube at Hot Flashes and Cool Topics. So if you check that out on YouTube, you can see that. Well, guys, have an awesome week. We will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.